0: is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org, or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruiz. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. We're going to jump into the word early here this morning. Is that all right? Good. Good? All right. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Last week, We learned just what we sang. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. The He, being the Holy Spirit, the one who identifies us to be of the Father. He is the one who is in us. He is the one who is greater. We are we are not greater. There is nothing in us that is of us that is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in the world being the adversary, Satan himself. He's the one behind all the mess. He's the one behind death and destruction. Greater is he who is in us, not anything in us that is of us, but greater is he who is in us, who has been deposited in us by the Father via the Son, who is the Holy Spirit. He, mind you, is greater than the one who is in the world. That person of the Holy Spirit is greater than the person who's behind all death and all destruction. He is greater. He's the one in us. Nothing, nothing about us. He's the one that we read last week, causes us from the inside out to confess with a sincere heart that Jesus is God in the flesh. That doctrinal statement that that has got to come from the inside out, not just on our lips, that is one of the defining statements, but it comes from the Spirit, John said. He is the one on the inside that causes that confession to come out of us. He's also the one you saw in chapter four, verse six, that not only causes us to confess, but he's the one that uh, that allows us, that gives us what we we need inside to be not just hearers, but but ones who listen to the word of God. That doesn't just happen from us. There's nothing in us that causes us to want to hear what God has to say to us, except for the one who's been deposited in us. Namely, the Holy Spirit, he opens our hearts, our ears, so that we don't just hear like a resounding gong what God has to say in passing and it not have any effect on us. But that one in us causes us not only to confess, but he's the one that allows us, those who are the little children, those who are the beloved, to to hear and and hear to the point of obedience, that we do something about it. It's, It's about the one in us about the spirit we uh, we built our talk last week off of what I called the hinge verse chapter 3 verse 23 if you have your Bible you can look at that it says this is his commandment singular one command that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ on one side of the coin and we love one another just as he has commanded on the other side of the coin John says that's one commandment meaning that they cannot be separated or divorced from one another. If you say you believe, then you necessarily will also love. Prior to that, going into that, what I call that hinge verse, 3.23, he unpacked what love looked like, namely, chapter 3, verse 16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Many of you know John 3.16. Maybe you need to memorize 1 John 3.16 as well, because it, it goes part and parcel with the heart of John. And he unpacks what God has done via the Son to show us, through His Son, what love is. And then he comes to that hinge verse, 3.23, and he says, We need to believe and we need to love, two sides of the same coin. And then last week we talked about the belief. How, how, do, we, how do we become people who believe? People who confess and people who listen with ears that can hear and move upon that. So it seems like we actually do believe what we say we are believing. Now, today, chapter 4, 7 through 21, I'm going to go through the end of the chapter. Don't worry, that's not why I started preaching early. It's not because I'm I'm going to go into great detail on all of these verses. But I will reserve the right to come back and, uh, and, and hit on some things next week or the week after, but um, we may or may not move straight on to chapter 5. Today, if you look at the title of your, your section there in your Bible, which is not inspired by the way, neither are the chapters nor the verses, but it probably says something to the effect of God is love. This is that passage. So here we go. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves, is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides, He lives, He takes up residence in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. is not perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates His brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from Him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, give us... Give us the ability that is beyond us even still in our own humanity to to grasp the words we've just read. Make them stick where they need to stick. Sharpen us, knock off the rough edges, do the work in the in the secret places of our heart holy spirit where only you can work use the words of this passage and of this preacher to make this hour profitable for the glory of the father and the son amen so this is it this is that passage that that passage in scripture that says god is love i mean we're here we're here. Now, what I, what I hope you're thinking is, you know what? Now that we've been walking through 1 John 1, 2, 3, and, and jumped into 4, we're, we're there. I hope you're saying, okay, I know that verse, but now maybe I'll understand it. Maybe I'll understand it as I'm understanding the entirety of 1 John. Keep in mind the basic context of 1 John. A group of young Christians who are a little shaken a little rattled, confused, tempted to question their faith because of some of those who are around them saying and doing some things that just don't seem to jive with the doctrine that has been left for them by the apostles. Uh, even, Even more, it doesn't seem to fit with what the Spirit who resides in them has to say. Something seems wrong and it's thrown this this young church, these young believers into a little bit of a tailspin and and great elderly apostle John is going to speak into their life. He he reaches out to those he's going to call beloved over and over and over again to those he will call little children over and over and over again so that they might be able to stand firm in what is around them. This this spiritual storm. Keep also in mind the reasons John gave for writing. Chapter 1, verse 3, that we might have fellowship. Chapter 1, verse 4, that we might have joy. Chapter 2, verse 1, that we do not sin. Chapter 2, 26, John says that we might be victorious over those who are trying to deceive us. And in just a little while, chapter 5, verse 13, ultimately he's pressing towards the fact that he is praying that we might know that we have eternal life, that we're saved, that we're born again, that we're in, that we're not that we're not questioning who we are in Christ, that we know that there is a spirit residing in us, bearing witness to the salvation, to that supernatural thing that's happened in us. So those are the reasons he's writing in his own words. That's the context for his writing. Now, along the way, I've, uh, I've been pointing out to you as we've been walking through these, these passages, I've, I've said something over and over again um, in one form or fashion in probably every sermon that I hope you're picking up on. What, I, what I've said is something to the effect that that what John is doing here is giving more than just commands. In fact, sometimes you might think he's giving commands when really, if you pay close attention, you find out he's only stating the facts. Have you picked up on that in some of the messages? Now, I'm going to do something... Um, a little bit dangerous, because if you don't have an answer here, then, then it, it indicts my uh, poor teaching. So, somebody tell me, what do I mean by that? When I say, or I have said throughout these, these sermon series, more than commands, John just seems to make statements of facts. What do I mean by that? Anybody? Test time. Pop quiz. What, what does that mean? Why is that important? Why is it worth bringing up sermon after sermon? Okay, so it's something he's already accomplished, and not—it's not a matter of our what? Would you say, our own work? work. Okay, somebody else. In your own words. Okay, okay. It's not here. It's not here to put it yet another way—to be a pep talk for us. I don't want you to come away from any of these sermons. I don't think John wants you to come away from reading this letter. I don't think he wanted his original readers to come away from reading this letter and think that they have to somehow muster up more effort. That they have to somehow become better little Christians. Better beloved. Better little children. That somehow their performance secures their eternity. I mean, that's... That's the furthest thing from biblical truth, right? Certainly John's not going to say that in his letter. He doesn't say it in the gospel. Nobody else says it in the entire New Testament. In fact, you're not even going to find it in the Old Testament if you're, if you're really paying attention. God does not receive us, accept us, nor keep us based on our performance. And so you're not going to find in John's letter here just command after command so that we walk away feeling beat down and then we walk out and we and we, we got to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and say, i I got, I got to do better this week. i got, I got to do better this week. John states the facts of the matter throughout this letter. He tells us who we are. Beloved, here's who you are. Beloved, here's what you look like. Here's what God has done in you. Here's what He has accomplished already. Here's what you should look like because this is who you are. Very often uh, Christianity feels like this struggle between something we're trying to do and this person we're trying to be, doesn't it? It's something, um, something maybe we feel like we've agreed to but we're still not really a part of. Uh, Does your Christianity ever feel that way? Maybe there was a season in your walk. Maybe there's a season in your life where Christianity just felt like this weight, like this responsibility of, of something that you have agreed that you've signed up to be a part of, but it's not really who you are. It may be who you're trying to become, but you've never really understood what I think John wants us to understand is, first and foremost, it's who you are. Now let it become what you look like more and more. Um, If you're not careful, the passage I read, chapter 4, verse 7 through 21, uh, you might latch on to a couple phrases that cause the same sort of thing to happen in your heart. If you aren't careful, you might walk away from today's passage thinking this way. God is love. Easy. Got that. We know that. Nobody's going to argue with that. God is love, and so we ought to love just like God loves, okay? And so we'll grab hold of that, what we ought to do in regards to this thing called love. We know God is love, and so got it, preacher. We'll head into Monday, we'll head into Tuesday, and we'll, we'll move into our week all the way in through Friday night into Saturday, trying our best to look more like God. Let me say it slightly a different way. Trying our best to act more like our example. Beloved, John doesn't want you to act like God. If John is saying that here, then it's different than what he said in the rest of the letter. It's different than what he says in his gospel. And it's different than what the the other biblical writers would have to say. Let Let me show you what his argument is. John is going to continue to state the facts so that you and I walk away (sighs) exhaling, knowing with confidence who we are and what God has done via the deposited spirit in us. Watch this. In verses 7 and 8, he's going to tell us about our new nature and where love comes from and whose nature gets the credit for this love. If you are born of God, you get it. That's the point. If you're born of God, you get love. It will be necessarily uh, part and parcel with your new birth. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. So he says a couple things here about love. First, he says that love is what's the word from God. Love is from God. And then in verse eight, at the end, he comes back and he says, God is love. So so put these two together and and just be just be clear that these two things do not contradict. They do not rub one another. There is no problem with making those two statements. They're different statements, and they and they have different emphasis. We need to be glad that they're both there, but they, they don't have a problem with one another. To say that love is from God is not the same as saying maybe that uh, a piece of mail is from the mailman. All right? It's not like saying that the dish that comes to your table at the restaurant is is from the chef or it's from the kitchen to say that love is from God is different entirely to say that love is from God means that love finds its origin in God. It says that God, God, he, he puts forth love from his very nature. It's kind of like heat comes from fire, right? Right. Or light comes from the sun. It is the source, right? The mailman is not the source of your mail. He's just the delivery agent, okay? So it comes that way. It's from him in a sense. That's not how. God just doesn't deliver love. He's not just the one who, who brings love so that you can take, take your part in it. To say that love is from God infers this great truth, right? This weighty truth that it, it, it finds its birth in him. It it finds its roots in Him. It finds its very nature in Him. Love is from God. He is the source, just just like the sun is the source of light and heat. Heat comes from heat in that sense. All right. What does it mean to say that God is love? It's the same essential point, I think, is that the very nature of God is love. It is part of who he is. I could spend a whole sermon just talking about what it means to say God is love. I don't want to get bogged down in that. We might come back to it, but let's not get bogged down into it. Because what John is trying to do here, I think, through through this whole chapter, is to help you and I understand what our response is to be to the love God has for us. And what he says here in these first two verses is, is that when we're born again, we become partakers of that love. We're not initiators of that love. We don't muster that love up inside of ourselves. Love is from God. He is the origin of that love. He is the provider of that love. He is the initiant of that love. How can he say that? He can say that because God himself is the very definition of love. God is the source of love. God equals love. If you need a math equation. And love delivers from God as well. Because He is the source and origin. Alright? So hang on to that. How do I how do, I do this, this thing that I ought to do? He is love. I ought to love Him. How does that happen? Well, it happens. John argues first in verses 7 and 8. Because love comes from Him and He is love. And if you're born of Him and He is in you and you're in Him, then guess what? That source is in you. Just like the Spirit, it is not something that is natural to you. It is something that is deposited in you. When you become born again, and He takes up residence in your heart, when He takes up residence in your life, then guess what? That source of love, it is there. And from that source comes love. Just like heat comes from fire. Just like light comes from the sun. All right, Christianity isn't acting like God. Christianity is understanding that, that God is in us. It's not acting like love. It's not acting like we're loving. It's understanding that God in us who is love and who from Him comes love, that source is there. We're not acting like Him. We're allowing Him to live through us. Now, look at the next thing he's going to do in his argument. Verses 9 through 11. This is how love found its way to you and I. In verse 9 he says by this the love of God was manifested in us. That word manifested means this. It means something that was kind of blurry before, something that was kind of hidden before, something that wasn't clearly understood before, something that wasn't very visible before has now been put on outward display for all to see. It's 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 an it's the idea of being finally perceivable, finally visible, finally outward. It's to make it material. It's to take something that is hypothetical and, and put hands and feet to it. It's to put a face to it. How does God manifest his love in this world? He tells us verse nine, by this, the love of God was made known, manifest, brought to life in front of us in hands and feet. How that God has sent his only begotten son, into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So it is the Son that is the manifestation of His love. That's how He does it. That's how He brings love to earth for all of us to see. Um, you might also reference 1 John three sixteen, which I said earlier. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. How do we know love? The Son. The Son laid down his life for us. By this, the love of God was made known, manifested in us. God sent his only begotten Son. So God is love. Love is from him. He's the source of it. We get that inside of us as our new nature. Okay? But not only that, not only that, God sent his Son to put it on full display for us, to put love on full display for us, namely in his execution. That is the love of God on display for you and I. This means um, when he uses the word propitiation in verse 10, it's a big theological word. Let me, it's cool to say. Everybody say propitiation. There you go. Don't you just feel smarter when you say propitiation? I'm not you. Sure doesn't help. The idea of propitiation is this. It's a it's a beautiful picture that he's painting here. I wouldn't I wouldn't go into I wouldn't go into it, but I I think it's worth it. The idea of propitiation is that something that has to do with wrath has been satisfied. In other words, he says here. That the love of God is shown to us, is manifest to us, and here's how. The Father's wrath is satisfied in the death of the Son. How do we know? This is interesting that John does this. John, how do we know what the love of God looks like? We know what the love of God looks like because the wrath of God was satisfied in the Son of God. Do you see, do you see the, the polar opposites here? That God is a God justifiably of wrath. That our sin, our sin requires that God is angry and that His wrath be poured out upon us as sinners. But check this out. That same God, that same God who is justified to be wrath in His very nature, who is justified to pour that wrath out on us, has chosen to also be the God of love and use his love to unilaterally, in his own person, in, in, in the Godhead, decide that he won't pour out the wrath on us, but he will pour out the wrath on his Son. And that is called, by John and by the rest of the New Testament writers, that is called, in a word, love. What is love? Love is God not pouring His wrath out on you. That His Son would be the satisfaction of that wrath. That's the love. That's the weight of the love of God. That's how we understand God is love. There is no other definition, there is no other source of love than that. He is both wrath and love. And unilaterally, he chooses to manifest his love in the action of the sacrifice of his son so that that wrath could be satisfied. You see how he takes care of it all? He takes care of it all. Now, um, just in case you aren't clear, look at the odd phrase that he tosses in into verse 10. In this is love. And then you get kind of this parenthesis. Not that we love God. He could have just said, in this is love. As he's trying to explain what love is, in this is love. He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for his sins. So he could just unpack propitiation and and help us to understand that beautiful picture of how his wrath gets satisfied in the son. And that is the the pinnacle picture of all of love throughout history, time, and eternity. But he doesn't just say that. He throws in there this little parenthesis just so that we're clear on what direction he's not going and what direction he is going. Did you notice what he says? In this is love. But wait, hold on. Not that we love God. Once again, it is not something that is in you naturally. Do not walk away from this place saying God is love. I ought to be more like God. I need to act. I need to act more loving. That's what I need to do. And feel that somehow you're going to be able to muster that up inside of you. Somehow you're going to be able to rally yourself to love. Over and over. It's, it's, if you were being graded by a 9th grade, 10th grade English teacher, there would be read all over this for redundancy. Not that we love God. Love doesn't come from you. You're not the source of it. God is love. Love comes from God. Luckily, by the Holy Spirit that's deposited in you at your rebirth, guess what? Guess what? Love is now in you. Christian, beloved, little children, whether you know it or not, (laughs) whether you feel it or not, whether you like it or not, love is, is part of the deal. Luckily, it's not love that you have to manifest. God has manifested His love in His Son. It's so amazing that it was, it was big enough to cover and satisfy the wrath of the Father for all humanity. Hmm. Now, when you get to verse 11, you can, you can hear verse 11 now, after all that, in one of two ways. Here's verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You can hear that in one of two ways. You can hear it this way. He models it. Now we imitate it. He is it. Now you act like it. God is this. I should be this. Roll up my sleeves, get to work on Monday, being more like God. He's love. I should be. If I'm if I'm going to be a follower of Him, I'm going to do this Christianity thing. If I'm going to do this church thing, of course He's love. Everybody knows that. This is one of the most famous passages in all of Christianity. Uh, of course, God is love. No arguments there. We should be more like that. It just makes sense. So I need to try harder. I ought to be more like that. That's one way you can hear that verse. I don't think that's I don't think that's how John wants us to hear it. I think he wants us to hear it this way. If God is this way, if he is love and if he is the source of love, and I am born of his very nature, then it stands to reason that now I will be like him. It ought to hold true that light comes from light, that heat comes from fire. Love now lives in me so I love This is how it ought to be in the sense that is how it necessarily works If you are I think John would say in his in his aged elderly grandfatherly apostolic booming voice to not only the original readers but to but to you and I here at Cornerstone in this very moment if God is love and he is in you we ought to love that is it's not a command it doesn't have to be a command it's who you are now little children It's the truth about you. It's the truth about me because it's the truth about him. This isn't a command, it's a fact of the new birth. One commentator said it this way. Maybe this will help you. When John says we ought to love each other, he means ought the way a fish ought to swim in water, the way birds ought to fly in the air. And living creatures ought to breathe. And peaches ought to be sweet. And lemons ought to be sour. And hyenas ought to laugh. And born again people ought to love. You See the difference? Love isn't something you and I can manufacture even if we tried. Remember what verse 10 says? In this is love, not that we loved God. It's not in us it is something god manifests verse 9 look it back what does he say by this the love of god was manifested what are the next two words in us they were manifested in us i mean that's that's an amazing statement because what he what he goes on to say in that verse is that he, he manifests it in us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we live through Him. So He, he does this thing in the world, but He does it via in us. And who's it for? It's, it's for the we. So that we might now, how, how do we live? We live via Him. We live through Him. So we can't walk away from John's letter. Not, not any passage before and certainly not this passage. Even reading words like beloved, God is love. And if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Thinking that somehow or another, we've got to do better at our job. And somehow or another, we can, in and of ourselves, get better and do better. It's just not the way it works. The way it works is coming to the realization. The facts of the matter. Who, who are you? What is Christianity really? What does it really do? It, it, it really changes who you are. You're not joining a club to see if you, if you can fit in, to see if maybe you want to be a part of this thing, to give it a try, to give it a shot, to just see if maybe it's a good way to live. No, Christianity is this wholesale change of your constitution, your very nature. The old man has passed away. Behold, you become a new man. It's no longer I that live, Paul would add, but it's Christ who lives in and through me. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. I'm I'm a dead man walking. The power that is in me is via the deposit of the Holy Spirit who brings that love bubbling out. What is the source? Well, love is from God. That's the only way it makes sense because God is love. We certainly are not. We certainly are not. Let me give you a couple takeaways and we're going to sing. And I think today our worship may be slightly more informed having heard the words of the Apostle John first. Maybe we'll sing with with a depth that we wouldn't have been able to sing had we read these words after. Here are your takeaways. First, love of God is supernatural. The love of God that we hope to have in us, it's a supernatural thing, meaning it's not natural just for you to have. It is supernaturally deposited and worked out in and through us. It's supernatural. It does not come from you because they are, they are not in you. Love comes from God because He is love. Here's the second thing. Christianity, this life, this living of Christianity, it is and has to be rightly understood as a supernatural activity of God working Himself out, through you. It's supernatural meaning it's not something you can take on in the natural man to do a better job at. Dog on it. I didn't do very good last week, so starting tomorrow, starting now. And then we get to the end of Monday and we say dog on it, starting now. <laughs> and we got to push that every day. If we're doing it if we're doing it on something that we're trying to find in us. That is merely of us. Last thing. Last takeaway. And this is maybe the harder of the three. If if you are not a loving person, and that's a loaded phrase, I get it. If If you're not a loving person, then what Scripture has to say is that it can't be true that God is in you. It just can't. Now, there, there is a whole lot I could say. There's a whole lot of caveats. There's a whole lot of unpacking that I could do around that. There's a whole lot of explaining that I could do around that statement. But hey, can we just can we just leave it lay where it where where it falls on our heart and let let's just agree to let the Holy Spirit um, make it as heavy as He wants to make it on our individual hearts. Can we just can we just say and leave it at that without trying to explain it all away? Here's here's just the, the, the thing on the face of Scripture that you have to deal with, perhaps. That if you're just not a loving person, I'm not saying we don't have bad days, right? I'm not saying I don't kick the dog sometimes. Or want to. Um, my neighbor's here, he knows. He's probably seen me outside yelling at my dog. I'm not saying we don't have bad days. But, but if you don't have something about your nature that has been rebirthed, in Jesus Christ. If there's not a conversion in your heart, if there if there wasn't a moment in time that God birthed you anew, that made you a new creation. If you haven't become in your very constitution essentially just this new and different loving person in ways that you can't explain, I mean, it's not just, you know, I'm a, I'm a nice guy. If you haven't if you haven't changed in that way, if you're not a loving person, then, then John would say to you and I, then God, He can't live in you. Because God is love. And whether we like it or not, whether we, whether we uh, want it to happen or not, from Him flows His very nature, which is love. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for Your Word. Thank you that it is deep enough that we will never reach we will never reach the, the depths of your word. But thank you that it is shallow enough that that we can take the most basic statements and we could just let them lay on the table of our hearts and ask Holy Spirit that you would deal. You would deal swiftly with us. Lord, if we are not loving people, my prayer is that, that we would cry out to You, that we would cry out to the Holy Spirit for what's not in us, would we cry out. If we are the one who, who sits under the, the reading of this Scripture today and we can't say that, that we have been changed by the One who is love, that we have been made into love, into his very image. Then Lord, by your holy spirit, give us enough strength to muster up that cry from within. To say, God, we need you. We need you to change us. We need you to 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 make us new creations. We're dead. But God, give us enough enough life soul to cry out towards the heavens. Save us. Lord. Save us. You who is love. And from the one who is love in the very nature, Lord, we cry out to you. We're sinners. But we put ourselves, we put ourselves at your feet. We put ourselves at your mercy. Don't let your wrath fall upon us, Lord. Let your Son be the propitiation. Let Him be the satisfaction of our debt of sin. Let that be the cry of the heart of the one who's lost. Father, as one who has is, who is cried that cry, I guarantee, I give testimony, I give witness to the fact that you will not turn a deaf ear. You will hear those cries. You will save. You will pluck from death and bring into life. You're pleased to do that. Your love is just that big. So, Lord, do that. Do that here today, wherever it needs to be done. For all of us, Lord, as we stand now in these remaining moments to sing of your love, I pray that the depth and the width and the height, the vastness of your great love will be shed abroad in our hearts this morning. Use these songs to teach us, to shape us, and to encourage us. In Jesus' name, who is our cornerstone and our satisfaction